Hello and welcome. This is Puneet Surana and you are listening to the Galata podcast. Galata is a word from the Indian language Kannada that means the noise caused by a ruckus. This podcast is about starting up while we are still in college, testing ideas, creating a team, building something worthwhile and adding value to other people's lives. Join us as we discuss the thrill of earning your first buck. tackling uncertainties overcoming obstacles and delighting others most of all the galata podcast is about seeing understanding and implementing so you can deliver on your audacious promise today we are joined by a multifaceted individual He is a engineer from Karnataka University a graduate from Asian Institute of Management where he fell in love with economics and is a lifelong student he has been playing tennis for the past 18 years a hindustani classical music lover a hiker and if all of this isn't enough he has had two decades worth of experience at the cutting edge of technologies like fintech retech shared mobility digital iot communications and much more boys and girls the galata gang join me in welcoming the director of founder institute the director of indic inspirations the mentor at 100watts.tech the chief product officer at on bikes the man that his colleagues call has the perfect mix of business acumen and technology expertise Vadiraj Ranganath Arlappanavar or as you're going to call him in this interaction as Vadi welcome on the show Vadi hey hi good morning happy morning as you always say uh, puneet i think you know very good morning uh, to all of you and all the viewers the usual first question i ask vadi is what were the conversations around the dinner table when you're growing up in north karnataka very interesting question uh, puneet i think you know you have to scratch your memories uh, <laughs> to get that answer but uh, i think the the fond recollections that i have uh, so i actually come from a very humble middle class background family my father was a teacher my mother was a housewife and uh, and uh, we used to live in uh, central school kendra vidyalaya quarters and most of the conversations that uh, i remember uh, are mostly whenever we used to be together uh, where centered around people i think you know and the communities were much more closer than what we have now the families that you interact the friends that you have together they were more like families so it, the conversations that i remember are generally a, about uh, the communities and the people and some of the things where i think you know if i recollect were uh, mostly on cricket cricket was the widely most widely played sport and that was my first love before uh, tennis uh, i mean you know i think i have uh, recollections of that uh, where with my father used to kind of do some very interesting interactions of the cricket matches uh, uh, during those times and if not it was around generally the people or the events that were that would be happening in and around uh, those days hmm any any early recollections of a fond memory that you have of either belgaum or i i don't recall the exact space place where you grew up in but Do you have any recollections or any memories that you keep thinking of very often? Oh, of course. I think you know. I have. Uh, I think in in fact, I think you know. I give uh, a lot of credit to the place where I grew up in. I think you know. It's uh, 
a place uh, near Belgaum, uh, 10, 10 kilometers away from Belgaum, a place called Sambra. Belgaum is a place in the Western uh, Ghats uh, shadow region, one of the best places, I mean, you know, with uh, continuous rainfall and I think, you know, one of the best places, I would say, apart from Bangalore as well in terms of weather. Uh, my recollections of my early days uh, go back to uh, the times when I think, you know, I used to gang up people and get everyone from their homes after school to play cricket. I mean, I think and uh, a lot of guys actually, I think, you know, uh, I used to be the guy who uh, used to actually cajole people and cajole, I mean, my friends, uh, friends, parents who would otherwise have, would not have sent uh, my friends. My request uh, would have been to kind of, my friends would have requested me to actually come to their own homes because if I go there, I think, you know, they will let them come back. So I think uh, those, those are very, 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 very warm moments. I mean, you know, I think uh, with my own friends, I mean, with whom even now I am touched with across uh, across the globe, I think, you know, uh, and across India, of course, who are there. We used to play very, very, I think, you know, nice cricket. I think, you know, during those times, fortunately, we, we had a Air Force uh, cricket ground mm. which was there, I think, you know, and... And one other thing which actually distinctly, uh, distinctly I remember is uh, though we were very young, we used to play with much older uh, friends. I mean, those who, whom we would have made in the Air Force campus. I mean, and these folks would have just come out for their uh, training in these places. They are they were called trainees, and these were usually 10th 10, 10 pass or 12th pass uh, guys, and they would have come there and uh, some funny moments were like you know we used to go there, and the first time they come. Their, uh, as for the protocols of Air Force and all that, their haircuts used to be done, I think, you know, at the same centimeter levels for everyone. And, <laughs> and you would imagine, I think, you know, all the different people coming from different places. And suddenly, uh, and, and it used to be taking the same amount of time for everyone. It's, it's like so <laughs> ordered discipline that used to happen. And, and in half an hour, you used to get a gang of like, say, 15, 20 or whatever, 30 people with their hairs almost cut to like you know half centimeter or whatever and then we will kind of go to them and say hey guys i think you know we have we want to play cricket and we have uh, now more people i think you know and they would be very glad and <laughs> that's how we used to kind of make friends and uh, play matches with uh, senior people uh, and absolutely i think loving moments i would say uh, i mean i definitely remember about those the other moments i remember about how we learned and kind of, you know, with friends, I think, you know, how we used to kind of, you know, learn between ourselves, I think, you know, of the things, what somebody else can teach for the other friends. I think, you know, we have very fond memories because you wouldn't have the tools that we have right now. I think you have tons and tons of tools right now to study. I think it was all about uh, their uh, how shared uh, studies, I would say, I think, mm. you know, used to work. And these also used to be a lot of camaraderie during those times. I mean, you know, when you used to go for a walk post-dinner and actually kind of uh, look back and uh, spend minutes to actually look back and see what uh, one would have found challenging, either either be uh, study, sports or whatever. So I think these moments I definitely remember, apart from a lot of encounters, uh, this being an Air Force station, I think there were we were surrounded by mango trees everywhere, I think, you know, including my... Wow. And uh, monkeys... Uh, kind of jumping on those mango trees and changing the antennas. I mean, I think you did not have uh, cables. I mean, you know, the, the likes of Tata Sky and all that. I think you used to have those nine. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure even Puneet, you would have seen those. I think you would have those uh, uh, antennas, which were uh, kind of... You know, yes, exactly. Right. I mean, I think nine, nine elements of those. 
so very funny moments of where i think you know uh, because of lot of trees the monkeys would come there and and shake the uh, antennas and once the direction of the antennas is changed i think you know you can imagine an india pakistan match happening down and there were 30 people surrounding in your home watching matches and suddenly it goes kur i think you know the tv mm. blurred and and <laughs> only fix only fix to actually get that going is somebody needs to go up climb <laughs> and so it yeah. used to be three people cooperating to make it work because one needs to be there on the tree or on the roof to get the direction one person <laughs> outside one person outside the home and one person inside the tv and i mean you know i i, I still you know so many times i would have done that to kind of get this uh, whole thing right especially watching matches where uh, it's not again i think you know the memories go back and uh, to see how uh, i think you know the whole aspect of community itself was there i mean you know now you watch mm-hmm. tvs even at the flip of channels with so many channels i mean now, now now you don't even watch channels i think you know you you do uh, my kids actually just do uh, uh, broadcast i mean you know the the casting whereas that time tv itself was i think you know had just started i think when i i mean you know 84 is when uh, the tvs actually slightly started becoming more popular uh, but otherwise when you talk about the early benson and edges cricket matches i think you know i'm sure you wouldn't possibly remember those <laughs> i think it was a common uh, uh, thing to see a lot of people actually aggregating at only few homes i mean you know, not everybody would have tv mm. so uh, very important uh, i mean or interesting uh, serials or matches definitely cricket matches used to be a rage and i remember i think you know in uh, one of the finals where ravi shastri won a odi as a gift for being a champion of champions we were huddled up in uh, my house where some 40 plus or 40 50 folks were there uh, celebrating that event so these were all very very different moments i think we we probably wouldn't get those moments uh, now but i think you know these definitely if i just jog my memory i think you know uh, just yeah. uh, remind me of those uh, suddenly years back <laughs> i remember it so vividly how in a village things like cricket was such a binding element among people among it it just went through the fabric of the community of caste this that and just brought people together i think around your time there's this now my generation is looking at ramayana during this lockdown yeah ramayana mahabharat but you you and your generation has actually waited and seen through the entire ramayana and paused your lives Absolutely. So before we get to the conversation what was it like back then when you had episodes like ramayana come on tv what was the village scenario like absolutely so i think of- uh, yeah i think you know very interesting things in- incidentally i think you know uh, i was i was just telling about that uh, to my kids i mean you know in fact my mother uh, and my wife also we were sharing those anecdotal moments uh, during that time when those were actually telecast uh, for the first time again i think you know aggregation of lot of people i think you know people used to actually finish up their schedules the housewives used to finish up their cooking and all that to be just before uh, the serials i mean i think if i recollect ramayana came much earlier i think uh, mm-hmm. uh, but Uh, and that set the actually the example of uh, i mean you know what uh, what serials can make uh, in the difference of uh, and the interest of people and when mahabharata came it, it really took off and i think you know people all from different levels kids adults as well as older people i mean i i, I remember my grandmother who used to actually uh, take a break and come and sit and watch this 
and uh, some people i think you know i i mean though i have not seen it but i have also heard about people i think you know actually as soon as the program used to start in some houses i think they used to do actually the mangalarti i mean you know kind of a, a stuff <laughs> so much of reverence to uh, yes. uh, this and uh, yeah very truly so i mean you know i think as you recollect back uh, these elements also bonded a lot of uh, people together i mean you know i have seen people across religions watching these serials very important moments of uh, where actually television as a medium i think you know it it got that confidence that if you do the right things i mean you know which can bond people together and if you uh, invest in that time uh, in our mythology yeah. and uh, stories i think there's a huge level that's what i uh, personally uh, saw that and i recollect those you know you brought this point of people doing mangalarti on a tv screen um i think that trend has continued even today where you see you know people have it on their wallpapers photos of gods and the ringtones becoming yeah, uh, absolutely uh, you you just reminded me of this moment from raja ravi varma's uh, who's a very iconic painter in fact if you see a uh, a painting of a god a hindu god there's a very good chance that it's made by raja ravi varma because paintings are like 2 billion people have seen it so far and when he painted a few paintings and back then in 1880s it was only open for the kings and the royalties and the ministers to view paintings it wasn't open for general public so he being a revolutionary opened it up for the general public and he was shocked when people would come in and see that that's rama and they would connect to the mythology that had been told to them over the absolute life and they would they would they started bowing down to the paintings yep and he was he was stunned and shocked i think uh, rangrazia is a movie uh which actually depicts this but you you just brought back those memories of how reverence has transformed through technology absolutely i mean you know i think uh, you made an interesting point i think you know it's all about uh, reverence then democratizing de- democratizing things i think you know or what we call as uh, i mean you know in the technology world open sourcing and crowdsourcing and things like that right i think essentially all these elements if you go back and look at uh, important elements of uh, history and times i think it is all about all disruptions have come by uh, when things have been uh, disrupted by being democratizing things i mean i think uh, be it uh, what you mentioned about uh, uh, religion be it about uh, things like paintings or being i mean you know even uh, goes back to uh, uh, the days of lagan right i mean you know the movie lagan i mean you know, i think <laughs> i mean can you imagine i think you know that uh, we as indians we were not allowed to play cricket and i think uh, that those were the moments i mean no of course i mean no i think uh, the where it was it was considered a british sport and if you see and enjoy that movie i think you know it is all about democratizing why uh, indian villagers couldn't play cricket i think india is is the uh, powerhouse of cricket i mean no i think <laughs> it's all about uh, how i think communities countries people uh, have empowered themselves to Uh, democratize anything i mean and even i would to kind of abstract it further like you know if you see the power of united states of america i think the whole power of usa comes from the fact that it was very open for uh, immigrants and people from all mm. uh, different places immigrants coming and opening them up to do things in us and and the most beautiful part of that country is i think you know and the success even now where it comes out because they democratize the whole power of people i mean no even back then i mean when they allowed uh, immigrants so i think yeah it's all about uh, taking those powers uh, that lie and uh, 
uh, what can be a restrictive thing and if you can combine them and democratize i mean a lot of disruptions can happen and uh, 1 1 suddenly becomes 10 i think you know yeah. <laughs> i mean th- those are just the kind of elements i mean as soon as you mentioned about it i kind of uh, started thinking on those dimensions you you brought about a very interesting point of how when you open up a technology to the broader audience the use cases just go out of your uh, assumptions do you do you feel that because because you've been at the edge of so many cutting technologies as you built and i feel what you're coming to is that when it goes beyond the early adopter stage and it goes towards the mass market that's where a lot of magic happens that's where the technology gets its uh, foundational rooting or the belongingness do you do you feel that happening or do you feel a lot of technology fall in the gap between early adoption and mass adoption actually i think you know uh, coming back to the technology life cycles uh, punit it's all about i think you know how use cases are framed how uh, the initial validations are done and how then uh, things uh, scale up and i will kind of uh, link back with few things uh, across the last whatever 15 20 years right i mean uh, on those dimensions of what you talked about people used to i mean you know long back talk on uh, landlines i mean i think that itself used to be a premium where uh, again very anecdotally i think you know landlines bsnl phones people had to wait for uh, almost a year to get a bsnl phone yeah. Yeah, long 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 back i mean you know i think i have not seen that i did not have a bsnl phone uh, connection at my home uh, when i was growing up uh, but that used to be the case i mean you know later uh, i think it started becoming kind of you know a norm to get a landline connection what you call then the whole uh, thing of uh, in early 2000 the whole era of uh, mobile telephony started and uh, when you talk about mobile telephony you had uh, long big phones i think you know you wouldn't be able to kind of keep it in your pocket i think they used to be like big phones i think you know yeah big size i have not used that myself i think you know my first uh, usage of phones was incidentally when i moved to the us and uh, kind of you know by that time we had the small uh, mobile phones but very expensive phones where you would you would pay for not just uh, talking but also receiving calls so i think you know you can see the user behavior of how people would talk when you also have to listen <laughs> then came the whole uh, era of i mean i would say the things like skype yahoo messenger in fact uh, yahoo messenger was the first uh, mm. uh, uh, first uh, uh, kind of uh, platform which would actually enable chats and uh, then there were a lot of things of icq and aol chat and all that amazon yes exactly i think that was more in prevalent in the us but actually if i remember correctly i think yahoo messenger was the first uh, actually true messenger which innovated a lot i mean i still feel very unfortunate that uh, uh, yahoo uh, was a much better at first early adopter or or other the first innovator compared to google i mean it was uh, earlier than them thinking about newer use cases so if you look at all of this i think how things shaped up from just taking this theme of telecom uh i think you know telecom was only available for uh, people who could afford and pay i think you know like uh, landline i'm saying i think you know only those who uh, pay for that uh, to get a landline you will get it i think so that's that was one of the resistance items where fewer people only up based on affordability is what uh, was there i mean when you made it made it more uh, kind of you democratize that part of saying it's affordable now and if you can i mean suddenly a lot of people started using it as you start using it the adoption increases i think you know the behavior change mm-hmm. same thing goes about uh, mobile telephony i think you know uh, and going back again in india i think you know what changed the whole equation from 
this been a premium machine i mean no, i would say premium uh, thing which is only like say very very senior executives would kind of hang uh, their phones and what democratized the whole thing is what the reliance revolution happened that time i mean no, i think uh, reliance actually made a very very disruptive element that time and again it was one of their elements and they keep doing that during uh, each of their uh, strategies where they made it very affordable feature phones that were available i think in those 2 3 years suddenly it kind of brought the phones in the hands of the people i think you know because they could afford that mm-hmm. and post that i think you know suddenly you, there are user behaviors that i mean you know, people started saying hey i think you know it's very very comfortable we can uh, still i mean i think it's not as uh, low in terms of uh, usage costs i mean i think uh, but that time i mean it was not even about data it was about uh, voice calls people just yes. able to hear uh, each other's voices and i mean you know some disruptors like reliance in india they disrupted the whole thing similarly across the world other guys uh, i mean mm-hmm. try to do that but if i have to recollect i think you know the the disruption that happened in india has continued to happen and we have been one of the most affordable uh, telecom uh, geographies across the world yeah. then i think where that disruption of democratization happened was the whole thing about uh, how why if people have to communicate why it has to be only a mobile phone and a voice call. i mean you know voice call mm-hmm. i mean you know chat itself can kind of progress into a uh, a conversation and that that is incidentally i mean you know that is that is a technology i used to work on in very uh, early uh, 2000 uh, early 2000s in uh, the startups way back in the bay area uh, a technology called voice or ip and i i, I mean mm-hmm. I, i still have very very fond remembrances of uh, working with some fantastic people in the bay area on on some of these uh, technologies where uh, the guys used to write the drafts uh, ietf drafts i think i got a chance to actually interact work uh, with some of these guys and so this technology voice or ip even now i think you know that whole technology now is, yes even now i think you know it's the backbone of all that you see uh, with uh, things like uh, what skype was the first adopter of yeah. that so all of these when you see i think you know the point uh, that you brought about is uh, is when you democratize when you make the economic models to make it work and if you if a businessman i think you know shares some element of his greed with people i think you know suddenly i think you know that decision of his sharing of that greed suddenly he sees in 3 4 years that i think that was one of the best choices that he made for himself and that particular businessman would have not even seen the kind of scale that could uh, come i mean and that's true for a lot of companies i mean you know i mean across and across i think you know you come back with all the disruptions that could happen i think yeah. i mean the, the platforms like airbnb that happened in 2008 9 again falls back to the whole uh, thing of sharing the sharing economy actually started around that time the later the while if airbnb was a sharing economy for uh, you know bed and bath i mean i would say for people to stay uh i think you know the later transitions of the same sharing economy started with uber uh, and olas in india of the world right mm-hmm. so i think and, and again incidentally i think you know as i speak i think i'm associated uh, with uh, with this very young company and a very innovative company called on bikes which is trying to be in the shared uh, yeah. uh, and biking i mean i think for the two wheeler uh, sector so i mean i think they have a common thread of democratizing things thinking slightly more i mean i think thinking slightly disruptively using the same thing but i think you know how how can we make it available for uh, different people be it uh, a shared room 
in a chat room in a yahoo messenger where earlier it used to be only one on one chats and suddenly they this yeah. brought the group chat group chats and suddenly it became a yeah. new thing i mean you know the conferences recently i think you know you'd say zoom zoom has become suddenly a zoom mm-hmm. uh, because in the covid time especially i think you know it it has shot to fame i mean you know similar things were there uh, even earlier with uh, whatsapp conferences or traditional uh, like you know where uh, airtel uh, introduced uh, a conference uh, where people themselves can conference three four people and suddenly very very interesting use cases where people could quickly get into a conference uh, call and decide and make a decision yeah so it's all about those elements how people look at and see those uh, moments where uh, these use cases can be validated and then scaled so um, if there is validation and if somebody takes that moment and then brings about that economic economic value that he brings it to that and puts out a model and tries to scale it and if it scales it works wonderfully well while you are narrating it i was getting so many companies that have actually followed this model of you know opening it up to the public making it democratic but do you think do you think models like these are democratic in nature because now that you see a lot of these social media giants are closing in their doors in terms of um, what is acceptable what is not acceptable you see these companies also creating these high walls around them like apple and all of them are creating these ecosystems around their devices where once you get in there is it's very hard to get out of so do you think now that they have democratized they have opened up their models built it and now they are fortifying it to make sure that they protect whatever they have built and that has become a limiting force actually i think you know you brought up a very uh, uh, very interesting point i think you know uh, punit and uh, it's not just now i think you know this fortifying is happening i think you know the fortifying has been always uh, the tenets lot many i mean you know even from early days i think only the tenets of fortifying is what is changing and i'll i'll kind of add more to that like you know uh, so there there used to be again going back to the whole world of uh, telecom and again uh, apple is a beautiful example i mean i think how it has fortified as well as scaled and a beautiful example of that i think you know and as you rightly said once you enter a uh, apple walled garden i mean no it used to be called as a walled garden i mean i think in the telecom world when you entered the walled garden i think you know you, it's very difficult to come out of it but the tenets of how each company tries to kind of uh, cover their own gardens and cover their own walls are very different so apple did a very very beautiful thing i mean you know in fact uh, uh, apple as we all may recollect they brought the whole concept of play stores and the apps at least two three other players who actually were there earlier than uh, apple not many people know about it qualcomm was probably first one of the first guys ah uh, yes who had their own play store i don't remember mm. what their play store or whatever used to be called for uh, but they had a they had an operating system called as brew and brew was the operating system i mean you know similarly i think there used to be the nokias of the world used to work on a operating system called symbian which were very very large mm. i think you know in fact Nokia was the first innovator when you talk about the mobile devices probably the current generation or even uh, a lot of us may not uh, wouldn't have used a Nokia phone i mean you know because in between when the whole uh, era of mobile phone disruptions started happening i think you know it was all the whole android economy and the iphone economy which kind of took it off and uh, unfortunately i think some of the guys like Nokia fell prey to it but i think these were the early disruptors in that 
and talking about fortifying i think you know apple did a great job because they fortified their whole ecosystem so you i mean and they fortified their ecosystem by how they connected all their devices their uh, applications and all that to their ecosystem so once person enters their ecosystem and it's i mean you know they get fortified to it they get hooked to it they do not want to change that and they have beautifully executed that strategy and the levers that they have used is purely based on features that they provide purely based on the devices that i have uh, innovated incrementally but each and every time surely i think you know they have got it over the years i mean you know be it the the great steve jobs who did it beautifully i mean you know i think he was a beautiful marketer uh, he was not a technologist but he was a marketer i mean i think uh, if you, uh, if you read back more about his life and works uh, as well as uh, and, uh, movies which are there uh, i think he was a beautiful marketer and uh, who kind of looked at those tenets how it could be fortified got those devices beautifully with each incremental device be it the mac uh, be it iphone or different generations the features that it provided so coming back to your very interesting very important element that you provided is fortifying and fortifying is always people uh, companies have used that to their benefit but it's the success of that is what you use it as a tenet for fortifying i mean you know how you kind of fortify it or make it as a walled garden by what tenet it could be user experience it could be by features it could be by that saying that you know once you are here you cannot do anything else i mean you know our people outside can't do that i mean you know i would say going back abstracting it further i think you know uh, which i possibly don't like it as much is uh, china uh, fortifies or has been fortifying its uh, <laughs> i mean whatever they do <laughs> yeah. whatever they do in life uh, in china is uh, all fortified. fortified yeah i mean you know we don't even know the life there in china i think what happens people whether they are happy or whether uh, they crib i mean you know, we don't even know about that so but but chinese mm-hmm. uh, government uses that as fortifying i mean i think uh, not not the most right way of fortifying uh, in my view or uh, mostly i mean across the world but yeah they that they have used that lever <laughs> So yeah you know that you got a fantastic point by getting china in do you think when technology is fortified by a government and it's secured by a government versus a technology which is open and democratic which one do you think helps the technology and the people more because in china um i hear so many people that have come back from china they tell about how wechat um had payments way 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 back and now it's only now in india we whatsapp is experimenting with payments and now true caller and all of these are having a chat google pay are having a chat based um transaction system but in china it has been the norm for i think 10 years now and in so many cases if you look at china in terms of innovation they have about 28000 patents filed and india has probably the round of a few hundreds patents filed every year so do you think a model like china makes sense for technology to nurture and grow or do you think a model like us and india where it's democratic initially and then you create a fort around it or you create um protection patents around it what do you think helps technology flourish so there are two elements uh, puneet and i think i mean you know one is the aspect of what is right uh, and uh, what the the china's approach is not right i mean i think i mean i'm not saying that they have been successful i think you know i agree uh, that uh, the wechats of the world and i mean uh, or or beat any other uh, element as well uh, before wechat or whatever it is the a lot of things have happened earlier than that not because 
other people i mean you know have not been able to do it it's not because of that it is because of the fact that i think you know that uh, it's all driven by to a lot of extent i mean no technology is one part of it technology actually what you see will actually i mean you know i mean i've been myself from the ecosystem technology actually is always available 10 years before people on the common people actually start seeing it whatsapp payment you have been saying i think you know we are trying to now do it but if you ask as a technologist i think you know i've been already kind of you know knowing about that it's possible i mean you know even 3 years back i think you know that was a possibility one year two years back i think in fact we were talking about uh, those those possibilities so it's actually not technology per se technology the technology per se when it gets available to the common person is dependent on various factors and to a lot of extent it is factors of regulation factors of how uh, governments allow that factors of uh, elements where governments also need to look at uh, risks associated with it and things like that so in china i think you know in my view i think uh, the way why some of the things have happened way faster than uh, some of the other places is not just because i think you know they are the most intelligent people or you know i think you know, it's not about that i think intelligent people smart people live across across uh, the world mm-hmm. i think you know including india and us of course the china what has worked well is uh, given their whole again i think in the nature where i think you know everything they do that's all controlled uh, controlled by the government i think they don't have outside influence that is number one so they they will have a much more better control of uh, what is uh, available for them i mean you know they can strictly try out that without the fear of uh, kind of you know the other unknowns where the the other geographies can come and intimidate them i mean you know, so they have a much better control in their own country compared to any other country possibly second element is anything that you do technology i mean you know technology been available for everyone at the same points of time but we chat or any other uh, possible company would have tried because there is a huge huge customer base i mean you know, i think close to around i mean you know their population is even higher than us i mean you know they are way thing 140 crores population uh, if i uh, get the numbers right which is a 144 crore kind of a customers who are there available to use technology and and a uh, element where it is all driven uh, in a manner which is uh, i mean you know they don't have the fear of that something that they do is uh, going outside which has been controlled uh, exactly within there so what has worked for them i mean you know i think uh, they have relied on few uh, kind of uh, disruptors there i mean you know in china i mean you know, the guys like alibaba and tencent of the world who have been kind of uh, propelled this propelled this whole uh, innovation that was possible as a technology and then kind of piloted it in china and then in in, a, in a, any world like china or that could possibly happen even in india where if there is if it is successful and if the guidelines allow it and if uh, it is supported by the government and suddenly it became it becomes uh, a very useful and a viral app not because i think the use case was not available or whatever it's as simple as 140 crore population i mean you know the same holds true for india 130 crore population i mean i think uh, the same thing if you look at uh, whatsapp i think you know the, uh, whatsapp is the though it came much later to india but we are the biggest uh, consumers of a, a platform like whatsapp and it could it could remain true for even any other uh, tools i mean you know, i think even in this covid times if you see the number of users possibly i think uh, zoom users or instagram users or whatever i think i think it it's a function of what is made available at that point of time driven by regulations driven by uh, the system of users and how people uh, love it and uh, take it i mean you know, i think uh, it's it's just a function of that 
but the second element that you brought about is uh, uh, what would what personally i would like and what maybe the right way of looking at innovations and looking at how i mean you know mass kind innovations can happen is i would always allude to a democratized way of innovation i mean you know, something more similar to a us uh, uh, concept of a democratized innovation model i mean i think which is what i mean you know will be slightly more truer for a indian um, we are never going to be a country where i think you know our people are going to be kind of fortified by governments and fortified by what even what we do and what how we live and how we uh, stay right i think you know so the model of entrepreneurship model of innovation what will work for a country like india will be taking the cues from what has worked in a uh, ecosystem like us which has thrived on innovation i mean i think mm-hmm. has, us is a country which is always i think you know even in my own experience i have got been fortunate to have lived and worked in the silicon valley very early in uh, 2000s times and the huge chasm that existed between india and us was i mean i think i used to see that you know while the same brains were there i mean the same guys who were educated here in india i think you know went on uh, to the us and they fell in love with that uh geography because it was much more easier as an ecosystem mm-hmm. things and uh, not that you know I, again it's not a function of people it's a function of what platform the geographies give and that chasm if you see i mean you know a lot compared to what uh, you see now if the chasm was 15 20 years that time now i think you know in some cases i think we are early ahead of the curve even compared to a lot of uh, developed economies be it some of the innovations that can happen i think we can be the recent examples in the past few years how we have innovated as india we have innovated on the india stack for payments how we have done uh, th- some things on the india stack mm. uh, aadhar of uh, the upi upi yeah. upi the aadhar uh, authentication and things like that are beautiful platforms i mean i think you know beautiful platforms at scale yeah the scale that we talk about uh, something like in india and if you are able to kind of do those kind of technology innovations i think there are european nations who are wanting to kind of look back and uh, hear from us as to what are those elements what have worked for us and uh, what are those tenets of uh, kind of framework which is can which can be replicated across philippines right now as we speak i think you know is uh, wanting to look at the indian model of uh, i mean authentication and the whole aadhar model of and they want to see if they can replicate it uh, in philippines so where i was coming from is uh, uh, the elements of uh, democratic innovation and uh, how we can bring it at scale is uh, the chasm of what was 20 years has shrinked very very much i mean i think as we speak now and sometimes we have led those uh, innovations to the world uh, and that's because i think you know our own innovation systems have become more uh, amenable our regulatory frameworks uh, have become much more amenable yeah. i mean uh, uh, coming back again to my own experience i think i used to work in mobile payments uh, way back in 2007 2008 and i was trying to bring some of these mobile payment innovations way back from us back to india and uh, if i look back in those uh, times technology was the same thing i mean i think technology is a very uh, humble uh, kind of a person actually i mean i would say i think you know they it can meander itself uh, to any of the systems and uh, do a lot of i mean you know, bring beautiful innovations but how the technology is enabled by the governments the regulators uh, during those time of the context is what it makes it beautiful so i mean the regulators if you look at again again if you look at, at the fintech uh, or the uh, uh, banking in the financial uh, state 
I mean, you know, there was a huge uh, thing about regulatory environments not allowing that, uh, and they were very slow. But if you look back now, I think you know they are very fast. They are very, I think you know, we we actually lead some of those uh, kind of frameworks. So it's all about the external environments combined with what is available by technology and to bring it to the mass, to the scale, and that's that's what brings the whole element of mass innovations. To a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to it, this is a very good sign. Absolutely. Do you see similarities between Bay Area and Bangalore area, or the nineteen, the the late nineties, and where we are today at the twenty or two thousand fifty, two thousand twenty? Do you see similarities between the two ecosystems of startups? Absolutely, uh, Puneet. I think you know uh, these are the two hotbeds. Uh, if you look at uh, the Bay Area, is one of the hotbeds. They have been the early. I mean, no, I would say uh, all the shoots of uh, entrepreneurship, be it the Hewlett Packards of the world or be it any of the startups. I mean, I think have come in later. Of course, there have they in US. I think there are different uh, zones as well. I think you know where innovations have happened, be it uh, Boston, Seattle, but Bay, Bay Area has been the leader uh, on that front again. I mean, no, because I think they have a thriving ecosystem of entrepreneurship. I mean, of uh, innovations uh, and companies who have invested apart from. Uh, why uh, why silicon valley why california again uh, bangalore and uh, california have similar levels and it goes back to the, the aspects of weather <laughs> i think you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, they have a very shared uh, uh, similarity towards uh, weather and environment uh, that is there in uh, uh, california and bangalore any uh, possibly anybody who has lived in bangalore uh, i mean you know goes back to california i think except for uh, slightly more uh, I mean, I would say uh, cooler. I mean, you would still need to wear jackets in California, but but I think you know uh, that's a very very important element. Why companies have set up shops there? Why companies, uh, tech companies have uh, have thrived in uh, the Bay Area? And same holds true for Bangalore. There is another aspect again, which is very common. I think you know uh, the Bay Area or California as an ecosystem is very open for. Uh, I mean, you know, outside companies, outside people come and innovate. And same is true for uh, uh, Bangalore, and I would say I would extend it to Karnataka in general. Yeah, I think Kannadigas in general, yes. Kannadigas and Karnataka open, yeah. Absolutely, we are very, very adaptive, very, very. Uh, I mean, acceptive to uh, people yeah. from everywhere, and I mean that's one of the reasons why is also the reason why I think you know the first. of the tech companies that started in bangalore i mean you know be whole texas instrument which was one of the first companies which came and set up a shop in bangalore long long back i think you know even before i started my career but i think the confidence of they coming back and setting up their shop i mean you know started a i mean you know rippling effect on others that was one reason second reason is our own indian confidence on a city and a state like karnataka to have most of their uh, uh, innovation centers uh, of research i mean you know beat uh, the confidence on uh, tatas to set up iisc or beat uh, the rdios beat the isros of the world and beat i mean i think hl uh, while these names are uh, i mean you no know, in the current schemes of unicorns and all that i think we don't uh, kind of give credit to that but actually the actual credit for a lot of things that we see in the unicorns and all that buzz around the tech industry i think actually we owe a huge round of uh, applause as well as respect for all these uh, kind of research institutions that are there in bangalore which attracted lot of uh, uh, i mean you know engineers uh, uh, to this city 
and and again i mean you know the uh, tatas who set up isc i mean way back i mean i think and there's a beautiful story of yeah. how how actually yeah. kind of he cajoled or who kind of uh, kind of talked to nehru pandit nehru to kind of say that you know why it should be there in bangalore i don't know this part of the story please go ahead i think it's it's because i think you know he felt again with these these were the levers that uh, i think you know that uh, a state like karnataka and bangalore uh, i think had the best of possibilities of engineer secondly i think you know uh, one other great personality which uh, i think exuded uh, confidence was uh, vishweshwaraya who, who was from uh, karnataka <laughs> right and he was willing to yeah yeah this i think this was his condition if yes. i'm right it has to yes. be <laughs> <laughs> yes in, in fact uh, so i mean you know i think uh, if you read that book i think you know, i just have faint uh, recollections by rm lala yes yeah absolutely i think rm lala has written that book uh, of uh, on tatas uh, and i think you know uh, i owe a credit to my father in law who actually gave me that book to read and he's a big fan of uh, uh, the whole tatas i think that yes. was one of the first elements of why uh, he set that up and said that you know it needs to be bangalore and uh, so all these elements coupled with engineers coupled with outside engineers coming back i think you know uh, i mean you know, made bangalore a thriving ecosystem uh, for innovation for entrepreneurs for uh, any of these uh, thriving economies and the same holds true for california and the bay area it's a very adaptable it's uh, amenable for outside amenable for immigrants and also i think you know uh, even if you look at the east coast and the west coast california you get a very 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 different experience even as an indian when you go uh, there as a as a uh, h1b holder or a green card holder or even when you look back uh, and somebody becomes a citizen as well i would say i think how east coast looks of a new york sees uh, a, a outsider versus how california sees an outsider the respect and uh, openness is very very different so uh, i mean also these are some elements across when you abstract it out i think holistically uh when anybody when systems are open when systems and governments or communities are open uh, for adoption adaptation for yeah. people i think that's where innovations uh, happen wow the book is called for the love of india the life and times of jamshed ji tata yep i i revered this book in my undergraduate studies in fact i grew a beard <laughs> which was yep. against my college because <laughs> jamshed ji has this really eloquent beard yes. back then yes. i mean i think uh, tatas i think you know fantastic uh, genre of uh, entrepreneurs and businessmen i mean you know and and there are some fantastic uh, examples in india i think you know tatas i mean you know again another personality i admire and respect a lot is uh, azim prem ji i think you know i think you know uh, the the founders of wipro i mean you know who kind of built an entire uh, empire i mean i respect him not just for the empire but his humility and i mean you know of uh, his respect and uh, you worked for a long time at wipro yes. so i i started you was I, an anecdote i know you started your career at wipro <laughs> yeah yeah so i actually started uh, my career uh, at wipro i mean you know and uh, unfortunately i think there were no startups to start your career unlike now <laughs> it had yes. to be Uh, either the infosys of the tcs and the wipros and maybe couple of other companies that time i think and uh, i happen to be at wipro and i still kind of admire uh, respect a lot of the wipro values and again they are all driven by azim prem ji be his integrity be its honesty about how how they have created businesses i mean now or or rather again coming back of how he has uh, shared wealth now i mean i think he is one of the probably in india i think the biggest i think contributor to social causes 
right so i think any uh, anecdotes that you have um that you keep thinking back of either personal or one that was part of the culture galata podcast is big big about building business with integrity absolutely and i i think uh, i mean looking back and especially talking about integrity i think you know uh, again i think you know uh, though i was there for my first 3 uh, years uh, but that was my first steps of my career with wipro i think the the biggest thing about wipro is the whole aspect that was uh, driven by azim premji on the aspects of integrity how to run a company how to scale a company keeping integrity in uh, kind of you know in check always and that's a very i think you know firm belief even now which are the tenets and 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 it is true for any large very successful companies across i mean you know i think we the tatas who have that element of uh, i mean which is driven in their uh, the whole tata ecosystem and in wipro i mean you know, i could see some of these even in culturally i mean you know, i think uh, i have seen and interacted with people i mean you no know, who were like you know salesmen uh, sales managers and all that where i think you know it was very very uh, i think you know a driven value where i think you know you can lose a customer but i think you know integrity needs to come foremost same holds true for uh, your uh, delivery teams and engineering teams where you need to be aspects of honesty and integrity i mean you know, in terms of how you deal with customers and people uh, and employees so these are very very important tenets uh, if some is an some entrepreneur or or the any uh, uh, i mean you know, i would say listeners here who will i am sure who lot of them will create enterprises who become entrepreneurs i mean on the key tenets of integrity simplicity i mean you no know, coupled with innovation and all the other aspects of i mean hustle and all these things to make startups work all those need to be there i think you know but the elements which actually take you and lay you grounded are all the important elements uh, and one of them is the whole aspect of integrity he brought out another value which you have followed and i figured out in my research of minimalism and simplicity can you tell us how cuz i'm also a minimalist however you're a minimalist you way way more <laughs> at the totem pole of minimalism um compared to me how have you integrated minimalism into your work into the technologies and innovations that you do and your life minimalism is a very i would say uh... important element while uh, i mean you know i can con- consider myself think as a minimalist there are lot many interesting guys uh, who are minimalistic i mean and who have embedded that in their lives i know a dear friend of mine who has embedded minimalism in his own house i mean you know i think you know and a very dear friend uh, here in my community who who has built a house which we he doesn't even take power from uh, bescom and who has built a wow. minimalistic house to that extent so i think you know there are different aspects of minimalism i mean in terms of uh, how you kind of lead your life beat in terms of how you use that in your uh, technologies how you say that you know the same thing uh, like for example if you're executing a new product use case and you want to build it i think you know in a very simple manner how you, using minimalistic principles you can build it and make it deployable as against i think uh, pumping in and doing all i would say the rasmatas of uh, having so many features so many people and trying to do that so there are different aspects of doing it in my own view i think uh, keeping it simple keeping keeping it low and keeping a minimalistic attitude towards building an innovation slowly but surely is a much better way of uh, bringing some of the innovations at least from the technology ecosystem and in life generally i think you know uh, if keeps something very simple i mean you know what works for you and what you feel happy about i think you know and keep those things uh, on a sustained level across in my case it's been uh, kind of two things of uh, been for towards fitness i think you know earlier it used to be 
long time cricket i mean you know then you kind of reformatted yourself to uh, reshape yourself to tennis i think which i've been kind of playing for the last 18 years and to just keep it simple that you know you want to keep learning 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 i mean i think and uh, learning and, and that's a again a minimalistic attitude of saying i want to learn and i want to make a just an incremental learning each day every day but whenever you do it i think you want to keep learning and learning never stops so that's again a very uh, simple principle that keeps uh, shaping you up and keeps you grounded and happy i think a lot of time you brought up learning and you know listeners he's the classic definition of there's a book called by chip clonely where he talks about wisdom at work that's the book title where he talks about the modern elder right he's a perfect example of a modern elder two reasons why one cuz he's the eldest in his organization and that's why everybody calls him vadi ji in on on bikes and the other aspect is the fact that at times he's 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 a combination of the mentor and the intern at the same time which chip clonely calls as a mentorin because you are at one time having this wisdom like the sage and the other aspect is where you're so curious about new things and new aspects and constantly learning so you you're like a perfect example of a modern elder because in my research in my conversations at on bikes i've realized the transformative impact or in their terms the engineering transformation that you've brought about on on bikes is so appreciated yeah punit so i think it's a very important uh, i mean i mean element i think i have not read that book i mean you know <laughs> thanks for sharing that i will read that uh, i think you know it's a very very interesting concept and uh, the aspect where i think you know you brought about that aspect of how you need to continuously keep learning as you kind of you know continue as well was i think you know in all aspects i think you know be it work be it in your life as well i think you know i think what i enjoy doing is i think you know even while as you said at at work i have never been a manager actually i think you know and and one of the best compliments that i have received from the people and the colleagues that i have worked for me and in my teams i think you know uh, that you know the aspect that you know you are never a manager but i think still able to get a lot of things done i mean i think in terms of uh, what you wanted to achieve i think and that can happen only when i mean though you may be a senior in the organization i think you may be a kind of you know having a uh, slightly more uh, aspect of responsibility but how you can embed yourself with rest of all your colleagues and see them as much as what you are and i think if you are able to do that and get that confidence and trust uh, across your teams i think you know that's i mean in my view that's the best way how you can get uh, a lot of things done and not just getting things done but i think you know getting things done for what everyone wants and in the most joyful manner i think you know and that's what is a tenet which has worked for me and i would say is a kind of a suggestion and an advice for a lot of guys who who kind of build uh, i mean or or other they they take leadership positions as well is it's not about leadership is a continuous ladder right i think you know you will keep growing but i think you know as you continue growing i keep seeing back i think you know there are there are steps to it and each one you would have taken that step and i think you know if you can take all the people together uh, and don't create that chasm between uh, people below and yourself i think you know so you need to be a part of uh, so even now i have most of my beautiful friends and most of the magnificent friends that i have made are uh, the colleagues and uh, who have worked uh, under me or with me as peers i think you know and that can happen only when you are there uh, along with them i mean not consider yourself above second thing is the continuous aspect of learning i think 
uh, as I have been saying, I think, you know, be it anything in life, be it music, be it tennis. Uh, what keeps me very, I would say, each day whenever you are doing that, I mean, I think... Uh, if you don't get the backhand, I mean, I think uh, tennis, I think, you know, a single-handed backhand is a very difficult weapon. And my uh, fan, I mean, I am a big fan of Roger Federer and uh, he's the epitome of the backhand. <laughs> uh, back <laughs> you know, I keep watching that hundreds of times and keep seeing, you know, how he does it. And for the last six months, I think, you know, that's been, I am on a milestone-driven, uh, passionate journey to get that. <laughs> But, but if you look back, I think where we started possibly one year back when you were just dreaming about it, six months back when you were just attentive, trying to work on it. And when you look back uh, now, when you actually play and I think you can yourself see the transform, transformative mm. to get that. To get that itself, I think, you know, is possibly the best of the happiness you can get on the whole day. <laughs> the aspect is about taking that one thing, what you want to learn and I think, you know, make those... Uh, uh, efforts to continue to learn, persevere on that uh, learning to get that. And it's true for anything. It can be true for sport. It can be true for runners. I mean, who can continue to keep wanting to cut down their minutes as they run um, or as they run more miles. It could hold very true for uh, music. I mean, I think, uh, again, music is a uh, such a vast space. And one of uh, the best quotes that I've heard from uh, one of the leading vocalists in India, Pandit Venkatesh Kumar, I mean, I, I was hearing him live in IMB in uh, Bangalore and he said uh, that, you know what? This was a Spick McKay concert. Yes, absolutely. The... I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe yes, you were there. I was there. <laughs> so I, I was sitting there and I heard him say a beautiful, somebody asked him, uh, what's that about music? And uh, you are one of the, I mean, I would say the musicians of India in Hindustani classical. And uh, what's your uh, kind of advice? So what he said is uh, classical uh, music or I, I mean, you know, I think Hindustani classical or music in general or whatever. And it's more true for uh, any classical music, I would say. He says in unlike other things, I mean, when you start learning, I mean, I think you start learning after college, you start learning about, say, engineering, when you start working or whatever it is. And he's more than 60 years. I think he just retired, possibly. I think he was a professor as well. He says uh, in the world of music, teaching begins at 60 years. I think, I mean, or rather uh, learning begins at 60 years. I, think, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, it takes uh, decades and decades for you to actually be coming there for uh, to perform. It takes uh, those 20 decades to actually come and start learning learning that and it life begins only at 60 and I was kind of just his statement made me wonder like, what about the guys I think you know who who are create who are uh, trying to create unicorns at 26 years 25 <laughs> yes. I mean Ritesh of OYO I think you know is created even before he graduated I think wonderful experiences but I'm just saying I think it is never any right age for doing anything you know it be it a unicorn be it, be it a, a hobby be it a interest or be it anything I think it's all about how you take life at those moments and how you keep incrementally learning. And learning can never stop. I think that's the best of uh, satisfactions that you can get when uh, you keep seeing that, you know, uh, beat music, beat sport, beat uh, at work, anything. I, I love this, this concept of improving incrementally every day. Japan has built an entire culture of improving 1% every day. One thing that came about in the research, and because I researched you from 2022 back two decades, is that you have interacted with individuals across different genres, tech experts, salesmen, stakeholders, investors, founders. And one thing that has kept coming again and again is that you've been able to talk their lingo or their language in a way in which they can understand and I've gotten them all on our same boat. A very hard skill to learn, totally understandable. But a lot of entrepreneurs here who are 
struggling. They probably come from one background or they are still students and they do not know how to communicate in the language of their CA to their CA, in the language of their lawyer to the lawyer, language of the tech to their technical team. How did you develop this kind of a people skill? How can they develop it? What pointers do you have? Yeah, sure. Right. Anybody aspiring to be a founder or entrepreneur is, I think, one of the things that requires you to be is you need not be an expert in everything, but I think you need to know the tenor of all the other things. I mean, I think especially for a founder, he he may be a tech geek, but I think, you know, wanting to build something very innovatively. But any aspect is one part of the whole thing. Like, for example, technology is uh, some portion, I think maybe 20, 30 percent of uh, the success for any product. So as business aspects, so as market aspects that require. So I think the aspects one needs to understand and respect is that you need not be an expert in everything, but what you need to have is an awareness. And as you have that awareness and respect of the other function, and when you start respecting those other functions and individuals, I think then over a period of time, you slowly start understanding the nuances of that. And that is what has, I mean, no, I think earlier, if I look back at myself, I started out as an engineer. I mean, I, I was a core engineering. I was a kind of a writing, coding, things like that, which are typical aspects of an engineering. But I used to also like a lot interacting with the outside world, I mean, which are aspects of product, aspects of customers who are going to be uh, using what we do and things like that. So it is also a aspect where one needs to understand what his actual inner liking is. I mean, I think he, I mean, you know, because again, it's come back to your, whether you are a, uh, I mean, nothing wrong, right, or anything about it, whether you are a left-handed, uh, left brain person, right brain person, whether you are an introvert, extrovert, or whatever. I think it is very early if you are able to judge actually as to what, I mean, you know, and, and anybody can be a founder or whatever it is, but if you, you one needs to judge as to what his strengths are. And then complement those strengths with the other aspects that are required. Like, for example, a young listener here may be a tech geek and he may be very beautiful uh, at that and uh, he wants to build something very disruptive. Now, what he needs to do is, I think you know, he needs to understand that, you know, to bring those tech things to the outside world, I think what he requires is the right promotions, right packaging and a right person to sell that whole thing. So either one can be a one single founder trying to do all the things, very difficult, Sometimes it happens very, very, very difficult, mm-hmm. but it, you need to be lucky for that. I mean, I think the second thing where it can help is I think, you know, you go back to your own core strengths, look back, talk to a lot of guys and then say, hey, maybe it's Puneet or somebody else. I mean, you know, who has the skill of articulating things, articulating uh, what he has? I mean, and again, a beautiful example of Apple that we talked about earlier. I think Steve Jobs was a marketer while the product was researched and developed by his co-founder, right? So, yeah, Wozniak, uh, yeah. Absolutely, Wozniak, right? I mean, I think uh, who is still there and uh, very interesting stories that are there on YouTube about how they built that. So, if you get that perfect element of what those shortcomings are and just draw those circles of what it requires. So, finally, it is about three, four simple aspects since a lot of guys may be interested in uh, entrepreneurship or building innovations. It all simple Things about uh, pri- uh, finding a problem statement, validating a problem statement, building a product, and then after building a product, I mean, I think taking it for adoption to the market, what it deserves to be in, then promoting it and where the aspects about marketing and promotions come into aspect. Then how you adopt and make it scale is where the aspect about selling and uh, kind of scale comes in, where a salesman and a guy who is beautiful at selling comes in. And then the whole aspect of leadership where I think, you know, you need to keep all this in tandem to see that you are creating something which has economic value for humanity, economic value for the company, 
simple value which is there in terms of joy and happiness for uh, for the people who create it so i think all these aspects if you keep it slightly simple and then say that you know hey i think you know i might have two of these uh, if, if you draw a simple matrix and say i require this i require sales marketing technology validation maybe uh, i mean again when you talk about technology you can break it down into various aspects of uh, design user experience uh, actual uh, engineering uh, product and all that say i would put all of them under bucket of technology but i think beyond that also i think you know it's all about articulating the vision talking uh, and bringing that whole disruption because believe me the real real dis- disruptions to take it to market they will you will get a lot of resistances i mean you, know, you will not even nobody will come and say hey you have a beautiful product and it can scale the real innovations can have i mean airbnb when it was formed or uber when it was formed or or even google when it was formed you would have much more many more naysayers when uh, then actually who are acceptability and that's the first sign of a real disruption so you need to be un- mindful of that fact that real real disruptions you will have uh, not easy acceptances i think you know so you you need to have that conviction you need to have that uh, perseverance to do that uh, across uh, or maybe across a couple of years to years yeah. so uh, yeah and in all these aspects again the thing that we talked about is aspects uh, of uh, multi skills uh, and especially in a knowledge industry and uh, like software i think you know people and knowledge i think you know are the most important assets and you need to respect you need to kind of uh, have build that element of trust and and i feel that's a very very important trait where uh, people sh- all your colleagues beat your uh, superiors beat your peers beat your guys who work for you i think they need to work in an, an environment of trust and candidness and comfort and uh, you as a leader need to provide that comfort i mean no i think uh, and that actually that's the difference between the real re- leadership and the real uh, i would say uh, uh, manager i would say i mean there can be uh, super super managers who can be successful there can be super leaders as well who can be successful but uh, what differentiates is the joy in each being a great manager result outcome can be the same thing while great leader the outcome can be the same thing but the elements on the fabric of joy and happiness across of building that will be different and that's a very important th- element in my cases i think what i've uh, seen i've uh, managed and started from uh, grounds up i think uh, teams of 500 plus teams where i have built teams uh, as well as i've interacted with startup product companies where it is much more smaller teams but the thread or the aspect which is very important is uh, how you keep any i mean it's not about scale it's not it's not about the number of people but then an element of comfort an element of trust that you actually build in the whole ecosystem and i think that's one suggestion and advice that i always can give to one of the entrepreneurs because that's an en- important trait as you scale i think you know that will keep becoming a very important and a very handy tool for uh, scale how 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 can somebody cultivate it how have you cultivated it i feel some way uh, more than cultivation i think you know i've been also uh, it's serendipity and it, it has happened in my case that i have been at those cusps uh, i mean i think i have kind of landed up in the bay area i think you know that gave me a kind of uh, exposure towards the, the whole technology and the thriving economy innovation economy i would say or beat when you uh, built the whole uh, business unit or built my own first company where some of those decision makings also kind of when you thrive like first my first venture when the concept of startups were not there the concept of vc ecosystems were not there and we were two three this is back in 2003 listeners 2000, 2000, 2004 actually and uh, a beautiful company that we created where i was one of the co-founders uh, with a company called telebrahma and uh, 
I think we were very unnerved by somebody when somebody came and actually did a due diligence and uh, and we were not sure what uh, why they're spending time and uh, why would somebody want to uh, give money and I mean it's sure I think you know first time entrepreneurs I think no exposure towards that I think you know we we actually first uh, uh, things that we raised were from the customer actually I think you know customer bootstrapped mm-hmm. us by paying in advance and we we kind of started with that. So, so in this case, I think, you know, it was all aspect of why I say it is serendipity because I think, you know, something like this, I mean, I didn't know how to interact with a VC or what a term sheet is or what a, uh, what, what actually, what are the terms, how you should do a discussion with investors. But I think when you do that, and I mean, I, I kind of uh, some of the elements that we cultivated is you look at that conversation and go back. I think maybe I don't understand all of this, what you're talking about. Help me uh, kind of decrypt uh, some of these uh, terms. And that is how I started learning them. I mean, no, and similarly, I think, you know, it is all about when I started the whole business unit for this beautiful company called Aztecsoft, who are one of the leaders in outsourced product development, the CEO and the co-founder uh, who are like statesmen by already, by, it was a listed company and they, they gave me an option to actually start this business unit. I think I actually told them and I have a vivid memories of that where I said, I don't seem to have experience of creating a business unit. I mean, I don't know about what is what is this business unit and how you have to do that. And I was very young then. I think you know, with only some six, seven years of experience, I was uh, told uh, by the CEO, a gentleman who was that who came, who was an ex-president of Wipro and who had joined later, I had a huge mm-hmm. for him. And he said, "I think, guys, I think just come out. I've spent most of my career here. I think you know, just need to jump on, and you'll enjoy this ride." And I just trusted him. And as you jump on that, I think you know, initial few days there is nervousness about it you don't know what you're doing i mean you're the first person then you kind of get your first person you start interacting and then some sort of some trails of luck that happens and you start interacting with first few customers who wanted to build something very innovative we built the first mobile commerce platform way back in 2007 uh, 2006 and again i mean if you ask me did i know about it did i nobody knew about it but i think you know it was all an aspect of how you would learn I mean, how you would learn by the other person, how you would learn by uh, your ecosystem, validate what you're doing. And these are the same tenets even now. If you're trying to disrupt something to bring in innovation, you would not know. I mean, if you if you yeah. about if you want to bring things uh, which are already certain, then that is not a disruption. I think, you know, yes. to, to make uh, and make uh, bring an uncertainty at scale. I think that is what and all, a lot of aspects of learning, a lot of aspects of validation, a lot of aspects of, uh, I would say, efforts to make that happen, what comes into picture. So I think there are no straight rules of how you can cultivate, but what you mm. do at those points of time will actually lead you to that. So you should not get unnerved. Uh, like first, I mean, you know, for example, I would have been nervous when I would, uh, I would have talked to a Fortune 100 company CEO in the first time in their boardroom. And uh, you wouldn't have that experience. You would get unnerved, definitely. But I mean, you should just consider them as another human being. And believe me, I think, you know, all great people, I think, you know, they are great human beings. I think, you know, uh, yes. I feel very comfortable, I mean, you know, talking to the CXOs of the world, I think, you know, and some of the beautiful conversations that I've had yeah. are guys who are at those leaders. I mean, if you ask me, uh, were you uncertain about uh, or unnerved? Yes. But when you yes. actually start talking, interacting, I think a lot of great leaders, a lot of great statesmen, I think yeah. they are the most beautiful things that you can learn is few moments with them. So you need to keep and so that uh, fire in you that, you know, guys, I think no, I mean, you know, I don't think every human being comes with that the same, same framework of everything that a person yes. has to think uh, of the same chemistry of brain, same chemistry of the whole nervous system of only what shapes different is how you make use of these uh, 
fabric i mean you know somebody mm. becomes a great sportsman somebody becomes a great musician somebody becomes a great businessman i think it is just that aspect that he has used some of the standards better than some other thing and then use the ecosystem around him across uh, years again coming back to a beautiful book on michael glad uh, malcolm gladwell it requires 10000 hours of anything to mm. perfect anything sincerely respect that and as i think you know going back at everything what i have been doing i think when i look back and see i think you know uh, beat uh, the art of music beat the i mean i, I mean i nev- never considered myself a continuous learner in the whole world of music but anything to even be at a state where you want to learn something it uh, it requires a art and yes. of 10000 hours i think you know i would encourage people to read those books of i mean you know some of these yes. great authors i mean you know malcolm gladwell is another great author where one can uh, get a lot of uh, learnings on that i mean i think especially on the thread that we are, what we are talking about very very true um, i think 10000 hours there is a book called mastery that builds on 10000 hours by robert green okay so, i have not read that yeah <laughs> just to just to tease the listeners and you about robert green so this is the guy whose books are banned in america hmm. and they are banned at two places okay um, so so the band in the jails of america and the only two kind of people that read his readership has one are the prisoners and the second are the hollywood celebrities or the political celebrities Fantastic. so he has that kind of a readership and uh, uh, he's written timeless books he reads a thousand books and then he writes one book so there's elements of history and all of that into it he he wrote a book called mastery which is a 600 page marvelous book where he talks about this exact principle of 10000 hours and he he mentions a very important point wherein to make it really effective in punching because if if you if not you're just repeating it but repeating it with feedback with continuous tweaking absolutely that creates a magnanimous difference and, and that, i think, and I think that that's tweaking, exactly and that tweaking what you said uh, punith is that aspect where learning comes into picture if your attitude is shaped to say that hey i think you know there is few more things or many more things that i have to learn then he'll keep listening to that feedback and keep listening incrementally so then i think you know it, then you're actually from being a kind of starting from ground zero then you keep climbing those ladders towards whatever we wanting to achieve i mean it's just like hiking right i mean on trekking i mean you want to do a summit first two days and keep doing then you look back you are amazed at what you see then um, i think you know you keep learning that you know i mean i think there is ice ahead i think there is you need to use a different skill the skill that you have earlier used of trek will not apply you need to have those incremental uh, different skills to do that and while when you reach summit i think that's i would say that's the best moment anybody would look at when you can see the whole uh, ecosystem around uh, around there right and when you look back i think you will see all the things what you have tweaked in your journey i mean and and yes. the same principle is for anything <laughs> beautiful thing about you is you've practiced and com- stayed committed to tennis hindustani music classical hindustani music and also hiking and all of these lessons you're able to in the interaction itself you're able to pull out of them and bring it to the conversation and to the company actually these all aspects i think you know let you stay grounded in the overall journey of life that's what i would say life is much more simpler than a uh, lot uh, many of us we can make it very complicated i think the decision for us it is up to us as to how we can make it simple and uh, some of these things are the tools on how you can uh, make it simple i mean i think if you had a bad day or uh, or rather i think you know if you had a previous bad day how to make it completely balanced is i think you know for me i think you know it is just one hour 
hitting there on the tennis court i think you forget everything uh, or <laughs> or you possibly i think you know you just want some solitude and then if you just practice the alaps or spend uh, yeah. with music uh, with just the tanpura i think that's the most meditative thing that you can do or right beat i think when you, since you talked about hiking it, the best moments that i've possibly had and seen is i think you know when you summit across and see from there uh, these mounts and the himalayas and then what you tend to think is world and the universe is so big i think you know why are we making it so complicated you are just one tiny tiny speckle of i mean a uh, morsel i think you know in the whole thing and uh, so when you see that whole vast expanse of the world ahead of you i think you know a lot of things when you just spend 5 10 minutes reflecting everything you then start thinking oh why anybody or why everybody is uh, or why myself i would have made a big uh, noise about everything or whatever it is <laughs> yes i think it, it brings so many things to perspective because you're talking about mountains it's a beautiful metaphor in this context because you've been actively tinkering around shared mobility for 20 years the trajectory of your career i have observed that you've been playing around with every element in the past two decades to prepare you for something which you've been doing at on bikes right now before we get to that how did you get involved in shared mobility when there was nokia and this is back 2007 2008 when there was like nokia i think it's n7300 <laughs> most of us haven't even seen it yeah. <laughs> much yeah. less played the same game yeah. and you were involved in shared mobility with that kind of technology so that mobility was very very different from what the mobility that what we are talking about i mean that mobility was about uh, digital mobility on ability to do and the way i used to actually define it for people because mobile itself was a very new element and the power of mobile i think you know i was selling that whole concept and i feel very i think you know gratifying that you know that's power of a mobile device that time what we used to say and which is remains true anytime is ability to do anything at the point of inspiration i think you know that is how i used to sell the power of this device and so ability to say transact ability to do commerce at the point of inspiration so you get inspired on buying something and you can do it any point of time i mean when you get inspired and and i think you know that power uh, mobile as a uh, device they get gave that power right i mean you know i think which differentiated it from your moving around and i think you know mobile is there with you and at the point of inspiration i think you know you are able to do something and and that was the power it shaped again i think you know it was an element where i think you know i feel uh, lucky about it because i was given this task about building this whole uh, business unit of mobile products mobile ecosystem and uh, this was uh, one year before actually the whole iphone and android ecosystem started mm. so i was i think plain lucky i think you know that i was already one year before and kind of uh, we were doing these uh, things on a feature phone prior to that actually my first venture was on mobile uh, aspect and mm. that is because i think when uh, i was with another startup very early back in a company called e vector which was there where i actually met my other co-founder of uh, telebrima as well and uh, he was a geek uh, fantastic guy who who used and who is to both of us we used to believe the power on this device and the ability that it can uh, shape human kind and we had some exposure i mean you know during uh, what our experiences and we thought that if we build something on mobile and based on just our learnings and by that time i had seen the silicon valley experiences i had spent one year slogging in manila on my mba and and incidentally 
that was the most slog that i have done uh, leaving aside all my school or any anywhere at work or whatever but that one year at manila in my mba i think we you know spent countless hours <laughs> ciphering the case studies so i had already <laughs> <laughs> and so that gave us the confidence to do that and we saw that we i think you know this power of a mobile device way back in 2004 had a lot of power ahead and i think we were already thinking about uh, you'll not believe i think we gave uh, one of the first examples of demos to do a ticketing on a on a sms i think you know to uh, uh, there used to be a company called air deccan and if you don't i mean yeah, yeah air deccan yes yeah. yes captain gopinath and that was there that time and we said i think hey, i think you know with using power of this device you can actually try to do mobile bookings through sms and why am sms because that was the only channel of kind of uh, we did not have uh, apps or we did not have data and uh, I mean, you, know, you used to have only J2ME apps, not the Android and uh, the apps that you see. So we said through SMS, you can actually do ticketing, and uh, we actually demoed that uh, whole thing. So it, these are very, very inspiring moments. If you see, I think what we had done later, we built uh, things on J2ME. We were probably the first guys who built a transaction system on uh, a J2ME phone, which we delivered, which was incidentally our first customer in uh, for a UK product company. and then later on at astec that we built the first mobile commerce platform and uh, and beautifully talking about it the the founder of that company a, a person called dev sikora he, he was already a kind of you know he had uh, kind of exited from a, a big company he was a big shot already uh, he was ex ceo of uh, pervasive which was a database company and he threw a challenge to us and uh, say that hey guys uh, i i have a use case that you want to build uh, i have forgotten my secretary's birthday and, uh, and on my way back uh, to my home and that that time it used to be blackberries in the us this i'm talking about 2006 before iphones and android he said i have forgotten my secretary's birthday and on my way back home driving i want to gift her something so can we do something about it i mean i think gift her flowers through a blackberry nothing existed like that and we said i, I don't know i think we don't know anything like that i mean the only thing that is available is when you go back home and open your uh, laptop and open the browser you can go to 1800flowers.com and then you order and, uh, you can order that was what was available but to think of that as a use case and build and believe me i think you know four months after that conversations we actually demoed that to him on blackberry to kind of order flowers to his secretary on his blackberry device uh, while driving back home and it required a lot of i would say confidence in ourselves confidence in that innovations especially in software world nothing is impossible it just requires the right things in this case it required us to talk to the ceos of blackberry to say that you know here is something very very innovative and for this to happen i think you know we need some opening up of apis from the blackberry world which was uh, i mean you know i think in the blackberry java uh, what they used to have in that and when we dave actually connected us as well to the then ceo a person called jim jim who was a co ceo actually they used to have two ceos and they said it's a fantastic thing i mean you know why not i mean you know if uh, innovations can be done and if you have to open up some things and we required open opening up of the apis to their contacts because i think if you have to add to cart uh, flowers i think you know we need to whom to send and where to send <laughs> and so very sim- now it seems very uh, very ordinary very simple but way back in 2006 to do something on a mobile device a transaction these are the first seeds of mobile commerce i mean you know where it's a matter of pride for my myself as as well as for my team that amazon was a partner in this whole journey where uh, we were trying to partner mm-hmm. with amazon and they said and they respected us to say that you know i think these are the first signs of power of mobile is what we are seeing 
and uh, that was a great great uh, validation of what we were doing so i think it's a question just of i think you know nothing is impossible in the software world and if you bring up all the elements together and to make it happen i think a lot of things can happen you know one thing i've observed in the software world which which you talk a lot about is the cyclical nature of how these models come and every time they come they are iterated and they are more suddenly more relevant to the ecosystem there were similar models that are now unicorns back in 97 98 99 that went bust but i think they have come even shared mobility it happened three times in the 70s in the 90s and now in china and uh, europe i think they got the validation t- a decade back and now in india there's validation coming in this is a nature of technology where it has to keep coming again and again and then iterating and finding its ground absolutely see i think you know technology is always ahead of the market adoptions and market adoptions are depending on the context of at that point of time what is required and a very simple example right i mean i think uh, we are since we are talking about mobility and even at on bikes what we are trying to do is about on the whole aspect of mobility very interestingly if you see i think you know the whole ecosystem of shared mobility was thriving i think you know we were talking about uber solas i mean of the world where we are offering things which are uh, essentially i think you know we are offering more efficiency for the for the asset more uh, convenience for the users but look at now what happens with covid it brings in a very different cycle of user behavior people would not want to be riding with somebody else so the aspects of the use case of sharing will take a back seat it will come back again one year later or one and a half years later but i think as we speak now next one year people will not want to be uh, kind of uh, wanting to be sharing anything i mean i think there will be aspects where be it the aspects of shared stay which is airbnb i think they will take a back seat i mean again they will come in later when a vaccine is found or when um, i think this real pandemic uh, fear goes out or whatever it is it's true for mobility where for example i mean personally i had transformed myself because of the traffic and all that i moved from my own four wheeler and i also started thinking it is inefficient i mean i drive a scorpio and i started feeling such a big vehicle i mean i think which can accommodate five six vehicle six passengers and i'm driving alone not not right not right for myself not right for humanity so i transformed myself and started using metro ride which was very convenient i think you know very consistent very defined of course i had to do some walking which is fine i think you know it will keep you fit as well uh, but but then that use case which was working beautifully i think again if you take in the next one year it will not work people will be scared of uh, using mass transport but look back at yes. so what it opens up is new areas where new use cases for people because the needs of commute needs of mobility will remain i think people cannot sit at homes people cannot keep doing everything yeah. i mean work from home is one aspect but a construction worker uh, cannot be at home i mean he needs to be constructing a home somewhere else or uh, doctor needs to be seeing a patient i mean though however remotely or whatever the aspects of moving from x to y is always going to be there so yeah. the only thing is now you'll see the tool which you are going to be using will be different i mean if you are using metro you will need to shift from metro or if you is using a car you will use a car to a two wheeler i mean you know, like for example somebody who can and that's where where a company like onbike what we are saying is in the two wheeler segment somebody who cannot afford a two wheeler who cannot afford to buy a two wheeler he will need to be given a means of some other means of transport and how we can make it more convenient and uh, easy for him uh, available through a platform like this at the point of inspiration again taking that example is through uh, the whole platform that we are trying to build and the whole thing of what we are trying to what we have already kind of down done with pilots on the e bikes electrical uh, mm-hmm. cycles that we had done 
now we are trying to transform it through uh, e-scooters right i think you know and our belief is uh, if people don't take uh, mass transport like bus metro uh, or i think you know they don't want to they will not be able to uh, walk and run then i think they will need to have different means and then yeah. then they cannot they don't have the affordability to buy and purchase then they need to have a service like service like this where they can subscribe for our platform they can use uh, platforms and uh, bundles on our platform so we are kind of looking and exploring and as much as i mean you know even uh, some of our other con- uh, i mean you know players in this guys like bounce and uh, bogos as well they are kind of as well bringing those to the ecosystem as well if you see suddenly there are things like uh, subscription which were not there things like long term rentals which were not there things like uh, rent to own which were not their concepts and suddenly in one mm-hmm. time i think in, they have been deployed and they are been uh, made to uh, work at least in bangalore because bangalore is right now as we speak i think slightly more open compared to yeah. like uh, pune and pune where actually i think you know we are uh, headquartered and where our proof of concepts which are there so as soon as that opens up i think we will see some of our pilots as well in pune this has been such a fantastic conversation we have hit the 2 hour mark gosh we have so i think we can go on and on and on there's so much more to talk about the founder institute the latest venture that you have just uh, incorporated the engineering transformation <sighs> okay <laughs> before i come to the final question how can the listeners reach out to you i am there on uh, linkedin facebook my email vadiraj.a@gmail.com uh, on linkedin if you search for uh, i'm quite open uh, i mean i think uh, and my email as there uh, on linkedin as well uh, vadiraj arlapnar if you just uh, spell it out i think you know you'll get it i love how you think in terms of levers in a lot of aspects that you look at it's like somebody who's a student of leverage and understanding which buttons to press when and how things work beautiful That's how an engineer thinks we've <laughs> got a sneak peek into an engineer's mind today coming to the final question though i didn't want it to end this soon but what is the kind of impact that you seek to make especially in the shared mobility space if you are able to kind of you know as a company as well as i think you know been uh, leaders in this space if you are able to kind of make transportation or simple aspect of moving from x place x to place y in a affordable manner in the most easy experience that you can provide for even for the most uh, bottom of the pyramid people if you are able to do that i think you know that will be a greatest satisfaction if you are able to achieve that and make it very affordable in the most convenient way i think that will be a great impact it's really been a very fulfilling conversation 